All right, we're at Mark chapter 6 and verse 53. We have a short little section of something that happens next after Jesus walked on the sea. He had sent them across the lake to a town called Bethsaida, which was kind of across the way from Capernaum where they were where they lived. And then when they got over there, then he now comes back. And they cross back over, but they don't come to Capernaum. They come to another town down the coastline called Gennesaret. And let's notice what happens. Verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well, it's a short little section here, and in a sense, you'd say, well, not a whole lot happens here, but I think there's a very profound picture here and a very profound happening of the response of the people here to Jesus, how popular Jesus is, how important he is to these people. When he shows up, unannounced, and it says they recognized who he was. They recognized this was Jesus. Now, granted, they didn't understand all he was. They didn't, most of these people did not understand he was the Son of God. But they realized who he was and what they knew. He could do miracles. He could heal people that were sick. There was something going on with this person named Jesus. And they were impressed by it, and they were attracted to it, and they saw him as important and they rushed to him to come to where he was and they brought all the sick people to be healed. I think we can take that as a picture for us of something very, very important. It's a, it's a picture of something that is needed in our world today and that is for the world and the people, for the people of, of the United States of America, of our nation, to realize the importance of Jesus, to, to seek Him in their life, to come to where He is, and to seek to reach out and touch Him. Notice verse 56, and we'll, we'll look at this really in more detail. This is a very powerful part. But it said, if they could just, they thought if they could just touch the hem of His garment, that's all they wanted to do. Just the outer, outer edge, just the hem of His garment was, they thought was all they needed. And it was, they were healed if they just touched the hem of His garment. And I was struck as I studied this and thought about it, I was struck at the good response, the, uh, the worthy response of these people in Genesaret that you don't hear a whole lot about in the Gospels. But the response of these people is very commendable. It's very noteworthy. Jesus was important to them. They stopped everything they were doing and they rushed to Jesus because they saw in Him what they needed. 
Oh, that our nation would do that. Oh, the need of our nation. That our, our, our cities, our communities, that people would, would stop what they're doing and they would see the importance of Jesus and come to him where he is to receive his touch. That's what's needed. Oh, that our state legislators and governor and Congress men and, and, and president and, and all of the leaders in our government, oh, that they would have this attitude. Oh, that they would see the importance of Jesus. And that's what we need to heal our nation. That's what we need. We need to go to Jesus. We need to stop everything we're doing. Shut Congress down and let's go and pray. Let's go to Jesus. That's really what's needed. And come and just Seek just to touch his hymn. All we need is really a little bit of Jesus that'll, go, that'll take care of everything for us. This is a great picture. And let's, let's think about these, these two aspects. First, on the people's part, their great realization of their need in their sickness. Look at it again. They're focused on the sick and they all had sick people. It says that when they recognized it was Jesus, they ran. Look at that word, that first word in 55. They ran. They, they didn't stop and think about it. They didn't sit there and talk about it. They ran. Immediately, they're urgent. They ran back home. They ran throughout the region and began to get, gather all of the sick of their family and carry them on their beds to wherever they heard he was. These people had a, a realization of their need. They, were, they realized their sickness. Their family members were sick. They needed help. And they, were, they realized the source of help was getting their sick family members to Jesus, wherever he was. And they urgently sought to do that. That's the attitude we ought to have. That's how we ought to conduct ourselves. Do we realize, do we have this realization of our own selves? That we're sick. Do we realize our own need? Do we realize the urgency of ourself? That we're sick and helpless and we need to get to where Jesus is. The Bible throughout links the two together. It parallels the two that our physical sickness, in reality, we know it is a result of our sinfulness, our spiritual sickness. The wages of sin is death. The reason why there's sicknesses in the world, the reason why there are viruses and bacteria that make us sick and there's disease is because of our sinfulness, our sinning against God in a general sense. It's not that every time we're sinned, that means we're going to get sick, although God can use that at times, a discipline. But it's that our sin has brought death and sickness and illness into the world, and that's why we're sick. It really, the physical sickness points to our spiritual sickness. Do we see that? 
I mean, I just thought about, do we realize every winter when we battle sicknesses and we go through the flu season and the cold season and all of these six seasons and we get it usually at least one time a year, sometimes we might miss it, but most of the time we get sick sometimes. Do we even stop and think the reason that is it is because of our sinfulness? The fact that we're just sinners and the world is under the curse of sin, that's why we have a sick season every year. It's because of our sinfulness. We're sick. Our physical sicknesses are just a result of our spiritual sicknesses. We're like these people, bedridden, that are sick. All of sin that comes short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus. We all need, desperately need Jesus to be where he is to help us and to heal us. To be saved first and foremost, and then to have power over sin in our life that we'll live in obedience to Jesus, we'll live life like it's supposed to be obeying God's word. And we're sick, we're weak. Our need is to come to Jesus, and we need to what? We need to run to Jesus. We need to run to Him. Realizing our great need, we realize the urgency to run. But our nation doesn't. Our nation is complacent. In fact, today, there's, you know, there's churches meeting, carrying out the work of the kingdom. This is a manifestation of the kingdom of God here this morning. Looking at His Word, talking about Jesus the King. But most people are doing other things. Most people are pursuing other things. There's not an urgency it's not an urgency. We need to come. We need to stop everything we're doing. And we need to come and sit at the feet of Jesus. That's who we need. We need to go where he is. I think those words are very powerful there at the end of verse 55. They came to wherever he was. They had to leave where they were. They had to experience a change. They had to leave their, their, where they are in their sick bed. They had to come to Jesus and that's a picture of repentance. They're saying, I don't want to stay where I am. They ran and got their people at home and said, you don't need to stay here. Come on, we're going to Jesus. That's a picture of repentance. Leaving where you are, in your sickness, in your weakness, come to Jesus to get healed. And where Jesus is, where Jesus is, every Lord's day, where he is, is in his churches, his body. That's his body. That's where his word's being preached. His, his words are being proclaimed through human instruments. That's where Jesus is every Lord's day, is in his churches. But most are too busy doing other things. They don't want to come where Jesus is because they do not realize the urgency of the need of Jesus. People of Gennesaret give us a good example here. They were urgent when they recognized Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the healer. This is the prophet. And some of them realized this is the Messiah. And they said, we got to stop everything, drop everything, run home, get, get whoever, and let's get to Jesus. They realized their great need to come to Jesus. And we have that same need. Listen to the words of Isaiah chapter 1. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. 
They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints from the sole of the foot even to the head. There is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. And then at the end of that, he goes on with other words, but at the end he concludes and says, Come now. Come now, you sick. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And he gives the call, come. Come. Come to the Lord. You're sick. The whole head is sick from the... From the uh, top of your head to the soles of your feet, you're sick, full of sores. Come to Jesus. And though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Jesus is the great physician. Jesus is the healer. He's the healer to heal us from our sin. That was the reason and the picture and all of his physical healings where he healed the lame, made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the sick. Well, all of that was for the purpose to proclaim the message that Jesus was the healer of our sins, our spiritual sicknesses, that our physical sicknesses are the result of. Jesus is the healer. And we need to have a, a, a sense of the urgency, the realization of our need to come to Jesus to where he is, that we need him. We need His power. We need His touch. We need His righteousness. Jesus is the only one who never sinned. He never failed in sinfulness. He's the only one who was perfect. He's the only one who always did what was right. He's the one we need. He's the one we need to stay close to. He's the one we need to leave where we're at in our weakness and our sinfulness and sickness. We need to come to where He is. That's our need. And we need to run there. We need to run to Him. Realizing our great need and we need to help others. We need to bring others to Jesus. That's who they need to come to. And this Christmas season, we can, these are opportunities to do that. Uh, and that's the importance of that. We're seeking to bring the sick to Jesus. Bring them where He is. To bring them to leave where they are, their sick bed, and to get up and follow Jesus. That's the gospel. Repent. Leave where you are. Leave your sick bed. Leave your sickness and come to Jesus. Believe on Him. Receive Him. And follow Him in your life. That's what these sick did. Literally, many of them got up off their beds. And when Jesus healed, he said that to him. He said, get up off your bed, take up your bed and walk and follow me. He changed their life. And it was about coming. And it was when they came to him. So great picture here of realizing their need. And then there's a second great picture in verse 56 of their great faith in the power of Jesus. And the phrase that leaps off is, just touch the hem of his garment. They had such great 
faith and his power, they said, if I can just, all I need to do is get close enough just to touch just the barely edge of his garment and that'll be enough to give me all that I need. And it was, they were healed just to touching the edge of his garment. And they said, if I could just, just touch the hem of his garment. That's great faith in the power of Jesus. That Jesus is so powerful, all it takes is just the barely touching the edge of his garment. That was like the... Uh, the woman who, from Syria, when Jesus was there trying to get away from the crowds, and, and the woman recognized him and came and said, please help my daughter. She is demon-possessed. Cast out this demon. Please help me. And Jesus tested her faith and just ignored her at first. He ignored her. And then he said, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And that was a statement meaning the Jewish disciples. Jesus had come first to Israel and he was first pouring himself into the disciples to start the church and to start that work from there. And he said, it's not my time to go to the Gentiles. And he called it, that was the reference to the, meaning the unbelieving nations if she was from. And he tested her in that. And she then answered and said, yeah, you're right. But even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall off the children's table. And Jesus said, Oh, great is your faith, woman, for that saying, go home, your daughter is healed. She exhibited great faith, saying, Jesus, all I need from you is a little, yeah, you, the bread is for the children, for your disciples. Give them the bread. Just give me one little crumb. That's all I need to take care of this demon. Great was her faith. She said, all I need from you is a little bit, Jesus. It'll take care of everything that totally overpowers me. That's great faith. And that's the great faith here. They said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I don't have to have much. I don't have to touch, you know, I don't have to touch him on the shoulder or have him real close. I just have to touch the hem of his garment. That's all it'll take. Great faith. And that's a great lesson for us. Because what it points to is these people, again, they, back to verse 54, it says they recognized him. Do we recognize Jesus? Do we recognize who he is? He's the greatest human being, the greatest being that ever is. He is almighty God in human form. He is the greatest most, and more powerful than anyone else. There's no one greater than Jesus. Do we recognize that? It's easy, even if we say we've come to believe on him, and we have, we believe, yes, he is the son of God. We say like Peter, he's the Christ, the son of the living God. We believe that, but it's easy to go about life and then get out of focus of the greatness of Jesus and the importance of Jesus, and he's greater than everything. It's easy to let other things and other people become more important. And other pursuits. Well, only we'd have this great faith in Jesus' power to say, I want to come to Jesus and touch him. And all I need to do is touch the hem of the garment, and that will be all I need. To come and touch Jesus. To be near Jesus. Faith in his great power. Do we have that sense? Do we have that? Do we recognize that? 
when we go about the week, that means we will be, Jesus will be in our thoughts. He will be the greatest desire we have that we're obeying Jesus and we're serving Him through the week. Our minds are stayed on Him if we have this great faith that He's greatest reality that there is. I want to, to, to note some verses in a place in the New Testament that proclaim this greatness, to put these truths in our minds. And you can follow along with me if you want, or you can just write them down, or just listen to these truths about Jesus. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. For in Him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Since Jesus is over all the powers, He's over all principalities, the fullness of God dwells in Him. You can't get any greater than that. That's who Jesus is. And He became, took on a human body and He walked on the earth as a human being. He's the greatest human being who has ever walked on the earth and He's the greatest one to follow in life. Do we have that recognition? We need to keep this in our mind. He's all the fullness of God is in him and we are complete in him. I have everything that I need in Jesus and there's nothing greater than him. There's nothing better than him. I'm complete in him. And all I need is just to touch the hem of his garment. John chapter one. John writes after he reflected back on all that Jesus was. And he starts off saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He was God Himself. And in verse 14, then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me, and of His fullness... Here's that same word again. Of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And John just talks about the fullness of Jesus and the greatness of Jesus, and he is above all. He is only begotten Son of God, eternal God in a human body. Then in Hebrews 1, proclaims the greatness of Jesus right at the opening of the book. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, his very own son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He said, Jesus made everything. He has come and delivered us from our sins, purged us from our sins in his great power. And he sat down at the right hand of God and he reigns over the universe. And that's the Jesus we serve. And the author just is proclaiming the greatness of Jesus. Do we recognize Jesus in that way? Do we think about Jesus that way through the week each day. That Jesus is sitting on the, at the right hand of God, ruling over the universe, and He is holding all things together here on the earth, it says. 
He's upholding everything. He's keeping the, na the, the, the earth rotating. He's keeping it together. He's keeping all the, the waters on the globe, all the oceans. Do we see the greatness of Jesus, great faith in Him and His power? He's more powerful than all the leaders on the earth who are doing things. He's much more impressive than any other human being. Do we see His greatness? That we might just touch the hem of His garments. Then Revelation chapter 1, John does the same thing. He opens the book proclaiming the greatness of Jesus. And in verse 4, he says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits which are before the throne, who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Jesus is in charge of the earth. To Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. That's the kingdom. That's the church. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with clouds and every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, as Jesus speaks. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Do we see Jesus as the Almighty? Do we see Him as the Almighty God who, who was and is and is to come, who's going to rule everything? Do we see Him in that way that we might just touch the hem of His garment? Do we recognize Jesus for who He is? Or do we, have we let the world crowd out His greatness? Satan has always tried to use the world to crowd out the greatness of Jesus. And he's pretty successful at it. On this day, most of the world will be impressed with athletes who are playing some game today. It's no mistake that Sunday is the biggest sports day of the week on Jesus' day. Because Satan is trying to compete with Jesus. Trying to get people not to run to him, but to run to the TV or to the theater or to the arena or to the stadium and watch those guys on the field and be impressed. My, did you see him? Did you see him make that catch? Did you see him? Did you see what he did today? Even within the church, on the Lord's Day, we're headed into the football season. We're toward the end. Again, I don't keep up with it anymore, so I had to think about it. We're in November. We're headed toward, yeah, they're heading toward the playoffs now and toward the Super Bowl in January, February. And even among God's people on that day when the Super Bowl happens, the talk and the thought of God's people will be, oh, who's going to win the Super Bowl today? Oh, boy, what are they going to do? Is he going to make another record? Is he going to get another ring? Boom, boom. They're all going to be all on people. All on these guys who are doing something so totally insignificant of taking a football down a field and getting across a line that doesn't matter anything compared to eternity. And they'll all be impressed with that. They're, they were impressed with all the records that are being made, blah, 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 blah. They're not that impressed with Jesus. That's Satan's competition. He's got a lot of things where he tries to compete. 
And he's done that in many ways. Think about how he's tried to compete with Jesus, his power of people recognizing that he has power, that if they could just come touch the hem of his garment, everything would change for them and be impressed with Jesus' power, all power. And so Satan's got to build up somebody else with power. And he's done that throughout history, through the sinful imaginations of people. He did that in the ancient Egyptians where they concocted the myths of all these gods, these false gods. And one of the greatest that they worshipped was a, called the Sphinx that was supposed to be a, a half lion, half man. And he was, he was great. He was the greatest. He had all power. And they put the, the Sphinx all over, all over Egypt. And they worshipped him. Oh, he is the power. He's the greatness. Competing with Jesus. And the Babylonians did the same thing. They had their own false gods and their false deities that they were impressed with. They had the power. They didn't talk about God's son, God's Messiah. And then the Greeks came and they did the same thing. They, they, they really ramped it up. And they came up with this whole pantheon of gods. Jupiter. Mercury, Mars, you just go down the planets. Where'd those come from? We've been very much influenced by the Greek paganism. Jupiter or Zeus were supposed to be the great, and then Mercury. And when Paul preached there in Acts, they, they said uh, Paul was Jupiter and Barnabas was Mercury. And that's the competition. They come up with all these false gods who are supposed to be like powerful human beings, godlike human beings. They came up with all that out of their imagination. And it's, it's all a myth, but they, they worship that. And they worship those, those, those myths. And they thought that's where the power was. And they served those false gods. But they were impressed with Jesus because of Satan's competition. It was a competition. Trying to compete with Jesus, who has the true power, who's the one who is really the one to worship and be impressed with. It's all a competition. And that's what Paul was doing. Paul preached the kingdom of, of Jesus. He said, Jesus is the one you ought to worship. Not Jupiter. Jupiter doesn't exist. He never has been, never will be. He doesn't exist. Then the Romans took up those same gods and then... That continued on throughout history. But now today, we're more sophisticated than that in America, in the Western world. But there's competition nonetheless. I've already went through that. It's in the athletic heroes and the actors and actresses. And those people are put on a pedestal and said, wow, look at them. Wow, they're powerful. And really coming out of the, the Greek culture, it was they, that's how they, they developed the Olympic Games, trying to Manifest that power of the gods. And if they won a race, they thought, wow, wow, we're powerful. We're powerful. And that's the same trap of athletics today. And instead of the self, they're not sinful, but they can be used to carry out the pride of man. And it's, that's done many, many times. And that's what's being done in our nation to try to exalt these athletes that there's something big and powerful and ooh and all over them. And it's all just a competition to Jesus of being impressed with him. He's the one that really has the power. He's the one that's upholding the whole universe and upholding the earth. He's the one that's king over it. He's the one to be impressed by, impressed with, and to worship. It's Jesus. The people of Gennesaret 
had their focus on the right person. They recognized Jesus and they had great faith in his power, not in the false gods who didn't even exist. And they said, if I could just touch the hem of Jesus, that's what I need to do. They had great faith in his power and that's the faith we need to have. We need to be so impressed with Jesus that he fills our thoughts and he is our greatest desire and our goal and we seek to please him in our life and we seek to be near him and we seek then to touch him because that's what we need. And notice this picture. The people were sick. They had the need. Jesus had the power as the Son of God but there need to be one more thing that happened. Notice the text says very clearly, they had to reach out and touch the hem of his garment when he came by. Jesus had come down to the earth. He came near them. But they had to respond in faith and to reach out to touch him. That's a picture of our faith. We have to respond to Jesus. We have to reach out and receive him and say, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life because you're the greatest. You're the Lord. You have all power. I want you. And we reach out to him in faith to receive him. It's a picture of receiving him. But his means received him. To them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. We reach out to touch him. And all we have to do is to touch the hem of his garment. Jesus has so much power. All it takes is just a little touch. And he makes everything right. He gives us his forgiveness. He gives us his righteousness. He gives us his power through the Holy Spirit. He gives us his promise of eternal life. He heals us. And he's the source of the power that we need. Are we like the people of Gennesaret? Are you like the people of Gennesaret here? Do you recognize your need? You need to come to Jesus. We need Jesus. Have you reached out and touched him? Have you reached out to receive him? Just to touch the hem of his garments. Because that's all you need. Because he's so great. He is the son of the living God who rules over the whole universe. And there's nothing greater in the world than knowing and serving him. The people of Gennesaret teach us a lot of lessons here. And they teach us the importance of Jesus. And may we seek him in great faith above all else, above all other false human imaginations and myths and false gods. And may Jesus be our greatest desire and our greatest goal. He's the one of the real power, not in the ones I've forgotten and left out. Where they, we go, we've gone to the, another level and extreme of these false superheroes, Superman, Spider-Man, Batman. They don't exist either. They never existed, never will exist. 
They've never existed. They only exist on paper and pen by somebody drawing their picture. That's the only place they've ever existed. Do you realize that? But you know, we, we're caught up in it. I know of where I speak. I grew up on comic books, being impressed with Spider-Man. Spider-Man was my favorite. Oh, man, he was my, oh, hey, look at his power. Look at the power he has. I didn't realize what was happening. It was the same diabolical lie in the human heart. We're impressed with power. We need power of God. We are drawn to that. And the world is being fooled by being drawn to false imaginations of power in Superman and Batman and Spider-Man. That's not where the power is. They don't exist. It's, a, it's just a, a cheap substitute to distract the real power is in Jesus. And what we need to be seeking is not the comic book, but the holy book, the Word of God, reading about Jesus, getting closer to Him, learning more about Him, being more knowledgeable of Him and serving Him more, giving our heart more to Him. That's what we need to do. Jesus needs to be our hero. Jesus needs to be our, our idol. If we can, that's not really a great word to use. Can't think of a better one. He needs to be our, what we worship, but he's not an idol. He's the true, uh, he's, he's the truth, the true power. We need to worship him because that's what it boils down to. That's how we need to describe it. We need to worship him. Worship the creator rather than the creature, rather than false, some false imagination, some myth that doesn't ever, even exist. We worship the truth, the true creator, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come in the future, to return to the earth as the true hero and leader and king, king of kings and lord of lords, riding a white horse to rule over the earth. And the degree that we have had faith in him, we agree that we'll be blessed and rewarded on that day. May we have great faith in Jesus' power, like these people, to only just to seek to touch the hem of his garments. And we will be made well. Bow your heads and let's pray. Would you pray about these truths? And is there any need that you have? Is there any need of, well, you, you need to change. You need to move from where you are. You need to come to Jesus, to where He is. Wherever He is at, that's where you need to come. Do you have that need in salvation? Repent. First step is repenting of your sin sickness and uh, trusting Jesus is the one who can forgive you and heal you and save you. And you reach out your hand to him in faith and say, Jesus, I receive you. I'm going to follow you because you're the Savior. You're the Lord. As a child of God, do you have a need to renew your faith in him, to grow in your focus on him from the competition from the distractions, then put in the world by Satan just to distract us. Do we need to be impressed with Jesus in a greater way? We praise you, Lord Jesus, for all you are. You are the only begotten Son of God. All the fullness dwells in you. All the fullness of all that there is. You have everything. You have all power. And you are the greatest one we can follow. Help us to follow you, to serve you, and obey you. Turn away from all others. Turn away from all other false idols in our hearts. And follow only you.
and experience your great power. The power you will demonstrate, that you demonstrated when you rose from the dead, and the power you'll demonstrate when you come again, where all the earth will tremble at your presence. We praise and worship you in your greatness. Help us to keep our minds on you this week and this, this Christmas season and direct people to you as we have the opportunity for you are the one they need to be healed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.